Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. How are you, Stacey? I'm doing well. I'm doing well in Las Vegas this week. So, you know, enjoying the beautiful sunrise here at, what is this, 7 in the morning? I don't know how you do this early every day, John, but you are great. So. Um, well, well, I didn't do it so well this morning here. I, I was with you yesterday in Las Vegas and um, flew back to San Francisco. I got in in the middle of the night, and it's good to be home because I need to uh, take the dirty laundry out of my suitcase, put clean laundry in it, and get back on a plane in a couple of days. So it's travel season. It is, and here we are on the road. And, you know, it never feels that I have family when I'm going through the travel season. Oh, you get to go to exotic places. I'm like, exotic places that are basically our hotel. We'd go from the airport to the hotel, from the hotel back to the airport. So, But that's okay. It's a great great opportunity to get out and see people. So. Yeah. I, I love Las Vegas because I love the smell of cigarette smoke. Yeah. Smell <laughs> cigarettes, the bright lights, and the the very dry air here. So both me and you probably sound like we have been smoking for a week because of it. So. <laughs> right. But um, you, you get back home and all the pollen comes back. It's You know, that's the great thing about Las Vegas is it's not possible for there to be pollen in Las Vegas. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> so. So you're home, and, and uh, we're going to be traveling for the next six weeks. So we'll have lots of updates for everybody in the next couple of weeks. So it'll be a, it'll be an interesting time to be listening to the radio show. Lots of fun stuff going on. Yep, and lots of commentary. We we spent we spent the first part of this week at the um, Ultimate Software Users Conference and Analyst Day, and that was a that was that was an astonishing. Ultimate Software is an interesting and different culture. They really have built an interesting culture, and their users conference has generally, you know, I, I've been to it now for probably three years, four years. Um, I know you've been to it even longer than that, and, you know, it has steadily grown. But, you know, it wasn't like this explosive growth, right? They have definitely added more and more each year. This year, I think they're somewhere in the range of 4,000. I think they said people who are attending 4,000 plus. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a huge amount of people who are all focused on very, very sort of in the people who come there have great HR technology questions. That's the thing that I love about the ultimate um, clients because they are the people actually using the technology um, in most of the cases. And that's something you don't always find at some of these conferences. And a lot of times you'll find the VPs who are sort of, you know, have bought it, but didn't actually get down and use it. Or you'll find people who are trying to get started in using it. These are people who use it, use it every day. So it's um it, and it's an amazing group. This these are these are really the users, and so so there is a level of practicality in the question and the and the curiosity that you that you encounter there. That you know most most of the time I live in this um, um, wonderful little bubble where everything is bright and shiny, and and you get to the world that users live in and they are the keepers of the payroll and the keepers of the HRIS system. And, um, it's not always bright and shiny when you have that job. It isn't, but it, but it makes you, makes for great, you know, keynotes because they were rolling out all of their, their big things they're doing and some really interesting things, you know, big splashy things about workforce management and time and scheduling and some great mobile stuff. And the thing that got the loudest, sort of roar of joy from the audience was the downloadable 
payroll view that they gave them, right? <laughs> so that's when you know you're in a very practical audience. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was very cool actually to to yeah. um, get to explore all of that. Um, one of the things that's interesting about their culture is that they um, they they are. I don't. I don't know. I, I think uh, you know. I'm such a Silicon Valley guy. So anything that is is slightly um, uh, vulnerable in a culture, I find um, um, unusual or maybe even unworkable. And um, yet they've they've built a billion dollar business off of this kind of really wonderful mushy Hallmark card. Um, care for their people sentiment that, like everybody believes, you go there and everybody everybody totally buys into this view of the company as a place that takes care of you. Yeah, yeah, and and but it's very much it, you know I I think you know not being from the you know to the middle of the bubble as you are. I mean, I get to see so much of it because of the vendors that we talk to on a regular basis. But sort of being in sort of in the, the Midwest area for such a long time, it feels so very Midwestern, right? You know, um, I mean, you know, Ultimate's out of Florida. That's sort of where Scott works. Scott's sort of the, the, the president, but uh, and lives and everybody and the whole organization lives there. But it's very, very, um, it feels like, you know, it's the kind of stuff, you know, you'll want to hear when you go to your job when you're working in Ohio, right? That's the kind of stuff you hear a lot of times. So, but it's great. I mean, the the employees all espouse it. The uh, clients and customers all talk about it. When you when you talk to them, they talk about the culture, right? That seems to be the thing that, that comes up most often. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And, and they, they seem to pick the the, the really big external keynote speakers based on this. So, so it's, it's like, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a case being made in our culture that vulnerability is a necessary part of um, organizational life and it's missing from the culture in general. And, and, and these folks sort of demonstrate the power of vulnerability as a way of... Um, Building software, which is, you you know, out, out in Silicon Valley, that's not how you do it. Uh, and, yeah. and And so they've got this, they've got this set of anomalies. They're a billion dollar old company that gives its employees pretty good guarantees with a CEO who is still in place after 28 years. Um, that's wild. Yeah, it's just and it's just and they're continuing. You know, the thing that I that I saw this week is that you know a lot of companies after a certain amount of time, you know, especially they've sort of reinvented themselves once, twice, right? You know, I believe they're going through a whole nother reinvention, which is hard to do. It's hard to turn that boat when you've heard a you know hit a certain point and you're and as an organization, you know, you you just are are, are sort of working towards whatever the um, the the board or the stock market or whatever you know audience has sort of gotten bigger voice than than what you normally would, and that is not something you see here. They you know they're continuing to invest in innovation as much as any of the new and scrappy guys I've seen out there, right? And that's I think the thing that's most sort of interesting about them that through all this sort of um, so sort of humble sort of cultural focus, like you said, you know through that 
that uh, a little bit on the cheesy edge, but really great, you know, um, from uh, from the employee's perspective and view and the customer's perspective and view. They're they're working with some of the most, I'd say, interesting artificial intelligence data sets that I've ever seen. They've just done a huge deal with Mercer um, Sorota, which is a, an employee engagement benchmarking um, uh, group that they're going to basically leverage their data. This is, this is a big announcement from them. They're going to leverage their data in this partnership to from their employee engagement for over 50 years to be able to do more artificial intelligence training and analysis. Um, they're putting out a brand new workforce management application. Um, they're putting out um, some new benefits applications, even though they're, they're sort of white labeling some of it. I mean, they're not stopping in their innovation at this point. It's it's a, a very interesting thing, and you, you'd never guess this. Um, you'd never guess for a second that they have um, a very 21st century organizational design, and that the development group, the development group, is run like a. Um, I I don't want to say holacracy, but the development group has a radically decentralized architecture and project management group, there's 700 um, computer scientists at, uh, at Ultimate Software, and they are not run hierarchically like you might expect in a Midwestern company. They're run like something out of Seattle. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, what, so a lot, it, what a lot of fun. Yeah. It was, and, and, it's, and it's some good stuff. I mean, I, I think the thing that, that stuck out most to me this week was the, the announcement. I, I don't think it was the announcement that the probably the buyers were talking about as much, but I think the piece for me was the workforce management module. We are seeing so many of the large vendors, particularly the ones who've been around for a while, revamping their workforce management applications. Um, you know, it may not be this year, but next year I think we're going to have a real run for what's happening workforce management. So to me, that was probably the most interesting thing to see this week. So, well, you know, the you time know, and attendance and scheduling. To to drag it back to AI. If you have the workforce management data, you know what people are doing. And if you know what people are doing, you can make some pretty interesting assessments of whether or not they're doing the right things. And um, I, think that's the, I think that people have started to understand that workforce management is where the gold is. You know, if you've got payroll data and schedule data, um, you're well on your way to having the information necessary to make a really powerful AI that helps people do their jobs. You mean people have been listening to it, John? <laughs> that would be nice. We've been talking about for a while. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But but they're doing it right. It's so cool to see yeah. it, and 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 and, and I, I don't care where they got the idea. <laughs> the the, the the um the interesting thing is that they did, and you and I have been talking about that for maybe even years. Um, yeah. Um, and they're doing it. They're doing it, and they're doing AI in a way that that nobody else is. Right. The 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 premise of their intelligence is that the machine is there to serve you. Yeah. And it's there to serve you. Um, and call you sir or ma'am, basically. It might be a little bit more elevated than that, but it's an intelligence designed to help you be better. And yeah, I was kind of 
Sorry, I was just saying, I was I thought it was what was really cool. They gave like this what are the foundations of their AI and they said it was focusing on individualized leadership, breakthrough diversity, and people first sort of artificial intelligence all around. And those are sort of their big themes this year that deal with the AI. And I think it's exactly what you were just talking about. Very different from what we're seeing in other places, right? Yeah. Now, before we before we turn this into a total syrupy, sugar-infested cause for diabetes <laughs> here, let, let me tell you that 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 they did make a pretty large claim about having emotional intelligence in their um, in their AI. I, I, I bet I bet I heard them say something like that fifty times in two days, um, and. <clears throat> hogwash comes to mind. Um, you, you know, the idea that a machine is going to deliver emotional intelligence. Uh, uh-uh. no, no, that is that. No, <laughs> that's not going to happen. What's going to happen is the machine will deliver the insight necessary for a sociopath to manipulate their people. Um, um, and, um, that's not emotional intelligence. That's nothing like emotional intelligence, and 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 so so I think they'll probably stop talking about about it that way fairly quickly. But that's the claim that they were making is that they're making nice computers. Well, and and you know they're focusing on their 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 unique approach to sentiment analysis, which which is a big part of that, and natural language processing. Um, but I think you're right. I think there's a bit of danger in assuming that every company will use the technology the way you might use it, right? Assuming that every, that every company has the best intentions, um, that might be the biggest danger maybe for, for ultimate uh, over anything, right? Because, because they are such a good culture, the, the misuse of it seems like a very, you know, far thing for them. And, and we, you and I both had lots of conversations about ethics in, artificial intelligence and there there are a lot of people who don't understand the dangers that it could get into because they just they don't think that way right yeah it's it's one of this uh, it's certainly not just ultimate that has this, no. this issue set the the idea that we're going to tell you what to do because we know you and we know what's good for you that that's not helpful that's really not helpful. That is that is um, um, a control environment that is hard to stomach. Um, we're going to tell you what to do because we know you and we love you and we know what's best for you. Um, um, I don't know. I don't know. Does it seem like that to you? I, well, I, I think if it's put in that position, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a bit scary. Now, I, now I think in, you know we did have this similar conversation, um, and it, and what's nice is Ultimate is very willing to have these open conversations and get pushback where you know the analysts are giving pushback. Um, part of that's probably because their are are their analyst relations group is actually uh, coming from the engineering space instead of sort of uh, the marketing space, which is very unique in itself. So they're willing to have some of the tougher conversations, I think. And, you know, their commentary, I think, on some of this is, hey, we're, we're giving information, but we're also telling them what's the probability where that data came from. 
they're very transparent, at least in, in their explanation. I also that's not something that I've seen because I haven't seen all the artificial intelligence working yet in their environment that way. But that's their perspective. And I, and that might, um, you know, cause some of this maybe to not get quite as doom and gloom as me and you are thinking it might. But you never know. You just It just depends a little bit on, on human nature, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But but you raised this other really interesting point, and, and ultimate here is also also not alone. We just we just sat with them. Ultimate is ultimate is really leading in a lot of ways the move to AI, they're, they're, and so they're going to get they're going to get harder criticism as a result because they're first. Um, and so this idea that that what you can do is give somebody an idea of the probability that the decision is going to be the right decision. That they can't do that. It's not possible to do that. They can give you the probability that this decision would have worked last year. They can absolutely do that. They, this that this decision fits on our curve of our historical norms. They absolutely can do that. This decision fits the benchmark. They can do that, but they can't tell you what the right thing to do is. Um, and they don't, have, they don't have any percentage chance of telling you what the right thing to do is because the machine can't know what happened since the last data point. And what happens in organizations is a series of emergent phenomena. So you get you get a routine in place, you understand what's going on, everything's measurable and, and, and copacetic. And then the chaos happens. And the chaos can be somebody's sick, there's a merger, there's an acquisition, there's a new CEO, there's a new product, the kind of stuff that turns organizations upside down every single day yeah. of the week. And, and when that happens, the data is all bad. Um, and so the machine has to adjust and get to the next level of routine. So it's chaos, routine, chaos, routine. And and le machine learning is not designed to operate in an environment like that. Machine learning is designed to operate in an environment where there are a fixed set of rules that you can know. Um, and And there are not a fixed set of rules that you can know in an organization, period. And and so so the, there's the 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 idea that it's transparent to say a um, you have a a ninety percent chance of being right in this particular decision is um, it's it's a misstatement of what the statistic is. Yeah. and that's a that's a very very valid point. I mean, you've obviously done so much research in this space that you know you've seen where the cutting end is going to get into into trouble on some some level i think you know like any new technology like any new breakthrough there is an edge where you reach where no one else has gotten to you're looking over the edge and you're saying we're gonna have to take a leap um and see what happens and many of the vendors are in that space right now and and i think they're all working hard to make sure that you know they have conversations about what that leap is going to look like i mean you know ultimate is not the only thing that that's going on this week i mean there was a you know a couple <laughs> really? of other things I, I know it's hard to believe, but <laughs> there were a couple other things. One of them was that um, there was a, a, a small company there. They're, um, looks like they're out of Boston, I think, um, called Predictive HR. They secured their first round of funding. Um, and again, this is a company that's doing exactly what you're talking about. They're taking large amounts of data. They're, it sounds like a data analytics organization. They're taking large amounts of data 
and basically delivering predictive analytics and saying that, you know, this is going to make HR better. I mean, we're seeing this, you know, in all the big companies and we're also seeing investments like this in a lot of small companies going on right now. So this is not, this is not, we're going to be hearing about this on a continual basis going forward. So. Yeah, well, and Trend Data, the 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 um, alliance that Predictive HR made, Trend Data is run by a guy named Dave Pollard. And Dave Pollard may be the um, the best producer of services that um, um, manipulate data, manipulate HR data out there. I mean, he's he's been doing this for twenty five years, and he is really good at it. Um, um, and so the fact that they figured out he's he's like he's like the guy that you'd turn to if you wanted to totally automate the API integration process like Swoop Talent has. Um, ah, okay. See, I don't know uh, him, so this this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's a it's a um, it, this is an interesting story here. I, and and I, I I'm not sure that I know where Dave works, um, but but Boston is emerging as a place of a lot of really interesting activity. And it's because the MIT um, um, AI people are um, of a different sort than the Stanford and Berkeley AI people. Um, and, and so they have slightly different ideas about things. Now, that begs the question for me, what's the difference type of sort mean on that front? I mean, do you have some, like, it, like, could you put them in some sort of categories in your mind? Or is that, is it just, you just know they're different? Um, um, the, you, you I know, I, I, I don't, I don't come up, I don't come up with great, <laughs> I, don't, I don't come up with great <laughs> metaphors just yet. It's something, but it'll yeah. be worth thinking about. One is, one is more the, the Silicon Valley players are more aggressive in their assumptions about people i think that's that's mm. what i would say yeah. well there's so anyhow, a lot to watch in this yeah area yeah. uh we also we also saw this week which i think um you probably again have a little bit more insight into is the bullhorn acquiring talent rover and job science um now bullhorn's been acquiring a couple of systems over the last couple of weeks or they've been sort of you know, there's been a lot of, of different things happening in this space, um, but but you were surprised to see this one um, uh, with job science, right? And talent rover. Yeah, well, well, I, so I don't I don't know a ton about talent rover. Job science is another company run by an industry veteran, uh, uh, Ted Elliott, um, and um, um, They've been plotting along for a while, um, getting better and better at being inside of the Salesforce ecosystem, um, and so, so I, I don't, I don't understand exactly what Bullhorn is up to, but, but buying into the Salesforce ecosystem means that they're headed towards the Salesforce ecosystem, right? You can't. Well, you, and and they mentioned even as they're talking about this that that when they made this purchase. They said just like um, it was important to them because of other Salesforce acquisitions, other systems built on the Salesforce application, like Connect, Connectus, C-O-N-N-E-X-Y-S, not the Connectus that we all know right. in, in the other area. 
um, in Europe. So yeah, definitely Salesforce is the underpinning for most of this. It sounds like. Yeah, and so and so so in their announcement, they talk about the fact that they're going to continue to serve the old platform, but that all of the opportunity looks like it's in Salesforce. So this is the second. This is the second week in a row we've talked about Salesforce. Well, Salesforce, you know, it's interesting. We we had a conversation even while we were here this week at Ultimate of, um, among the analysts about what's going on with Salesforce, and and we're watching a lot of. Um, it, it's not even Salesforce itself, but it is this ecosystem they've created on their platform that seems to really be moving and changing more so in some cases, right? Um, and that I think is, is you know, it, the real opportunity to watch when you create the platform. This is now many, many years out. You know, you're now starting to see the benefits of it, right? Right. There's a thing that I think can happen that Salesforce may be in the process of doing, which is if you grow an ecosystem big enough, the ecosystem becomes the company. And, and, and it's weird because the money doesn't all flow in that way. But but you start you start operating in a world where everything happens through other people to get things done. And um, you sit at the core enabling all of that stuff. So the outside world doesn't see uh, you. They see the ecosystem. It's... Ecosystems we've been mentioning quite a bit, and you know whether that's ecosystems with the platform, but also the partnerships are a big approach and marketplaces. Do you think all of those type of ecosystems have the ability to grow the same way you're talking about, or do you think it really has to be connected at the technical level? Um, I I think that the smart companies, and this again, ultimate ultimate is one of just a few. I think Workday may be doing this too, but I, I don't know for sure. Um, uh, the integration of technical contract and cash flow into a single function is is what they're trying to do at Ultimate. Uh, Travis Burke, who was who was at Workforce Software before, um, um, has control of those things. So he he owns some aspect of the API. I don't understand it exactly. Um, and, and that feeds into that decentralized development group that I, that, that I was talking about earlier. And so um, it's a really interesting approach, and Salesforce has pulled it off. Well, um, you know, as we're sort of wrapping up, I've got a few minutes left. It's, it's probably worth noting that there's some stuff going on over at Paycor as well, for those who are watching the space. Um, so Paycor just announced two brand new um, people that they've acquired in their organization. We don't always talk about, you know, act, you know, senior leadership changes, but they uh, appointed a chief product officer and a chief technology officer who came from other parts of the space. So really interesting, I think, to see that um, Paycor got Ryan Bergstrom as the chief product officer. Um, and Ryan has, has been around in, in a lot of um, other organizations, and they also got Charles Cagle as chief technology officer, both coming from organizations like Infor and Epicor and um, PeopleSoft. And I'm really interested to see that they're continuing to invest in their senior leadership in such a rapid way that we haven't seen. Um, Paycor generally has sort of stayed on them. SMB market for core HR, payroll, 
a little bit of talent, um, and uh, they're now doing a little bit of um, recruiting as well. But they're starting to really come on strong. We're seeing a lot of these, what were traditionally sort of the smaller, less known core HRMS environments that are sort of adding to their um, tool sets, really investing heavily in talent right now with the idea that they're going to compete in a very large market. Things are changing, and, and part of what, what we've been talking about all day is people who've been in the industry for a generation. It's hard to imagine yeah. that uh, the industry itself is 25 years old. Does that make That's you feel ama- old yet, John? <laughs> God, I was there at the birth. You know, it's it's sort of crazy, actually, because it's, it's changed and matured in such extraordinary ways, and it's easy to forget that it's not the same little town where everybody knew everybody. Now it's a great big town, and the people who were there at the beginning are the people who know everybody. They do, and and we're starting to see people sort of who have a lot of experience in all these different environments really, you know, rise to the top. You know, it was funny this week I was talking to a little bit younger sort of new HR technologist, and we were talking about, you know, when I first got into you know, HR technology, I said, yeah, I was back in the day before, you know, the idea of performance and learning getting, you know, integrated was even beginning to be thought about. It was way, way back in, you know, like 2000. And she looked at me and she goes, you were looking at HR technology at 2000? I thought, now I'm feeling old. <laughs> so, yes, time marches on and always. <laughs> yep. Um, so, what a great conversation. It was nice yeah. to see you this week in Vegas. It was, it was, and 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 uh, next week um, I'll be out at the um, Oracle uh, Users Conference, so I'll have some updates from there. Um, and I'll be talking and I know to you from IBM. We'll be talking yeah, from the so, IBM Think Conference, which I am looking forward to. We'll have some more updates. So talk to you next week on the phone, I guess, uh, John. Okay, <laughs> fantastic. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you back here next week. Bye-bye now. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks.